Well, Happy New Year, Rockbridge. Wow, it is 2022. And uh, what a privilege to be with you. My name is Alfred Turley. I'm our Chatsworth campus pastor. Incredible privilege to be with you in all six of our campuses. Chatsworth, Calhoun, Dalton, Ringgold, Hickson, Cleveland, and then those of you who are joining us online. Such a great privilege to be with you now. And I want to encourage those of you online, you get to do something that no one else can, and that is drop something in the, in the response box, in the chat box, wherever you can give some feedback. Tell us what a New Year's resolution is for you this year. What are you planning on changing or adjusted? What's adjusting? What's a big goal for you in 2022? And I don't know about you, but you know, I've got some, I'm planning on some, thinking about some exercise types of things and, uh, and some other ones. And you know, I, 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 after what just happened through the Christmas and holiday season is I have definitely eaten way too much, way too many sweets. And uh, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping people stop giving me cookies and things like that. So I, I need to eat a little better. I'm going to work on that. But it's interesting because as we go into the new year, all of us, it's always a time of evaluation and assessment, isn't it? I mean, I think we all, the, new, the, the holidays and everything, it really shuffles our life out of our normal rhythms, out of our preferred rhythms, and uh, in, many, in a good way in, so, in some things. So then when it comes January, we're like, oh my gosh, I've got to get back to, back on this, back to the gym, back to whatever. We know we need to do some things and get back into some healthy lifestyles, healthy rhythms, because um, we've got a vision of the future that we're thinking about. You know, and, and I realize that so many times in our lives, we don't necessarily stop and assess and evaluate what we need to be doing. And then there's these moments that come along that do change everything and shift everything. Like I remember when my wife and I got engaged, when she said yes, because I didn't know if she was going to say yes. And when she did, and we were on the Chattanooga walking bridge, and, and, and I was on my knee and gave her the ring. And I remember that, that night when I realized, you know, that she, she was agreeing and she was going to marry me, that everything was going to change that our goals now were shifting, that everything in my life was going to shift around coming together in a, in a marriage with her. And I remember as we, you know, talked and prayed about having kids, and then when, when we find out we're pregnant, you know, then, oh my gosh, we need to evaluate some things, and it thinks, you know, we're budgeting differently, and we're thinking differently. We evaluate differently. You know, and, and we, when we're graduating, we think we're about to graduate from, from high school, from college, whatever, whatever we're looking at, we're close to getting that, once we get there, you know, it begins to cause us to reevaluate and look, look ahead differently. But, you know, so often as we're in these times of evaluation, assessment, we look back and realize, you know, I wish I would have lived differently. I wish I would have done this, 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 this differently. I wish I had studied a little harder. Now that I realize I can't get into a certain school or I can't do a certain thing, you know, I wish I'd have tried a little harder in this subject. I wish I would have treated someone better. I w whatever, that, whatever the regret is, so often when we get to these points of assessment, of evaluation, that actually we begin to realize maybe we wasted some time and maybe now we've got some regrets. Well, you know, there's a, there's a verse that I want to just go to real quick, and it's Psalm 90, verses 12. And as a pastor, actually, it's probably the number one of the biggest verses I, I use at a funeral. And it says, Teach us to number our days carefully 
so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. See, our most precious resource is time. And you know, it's the, it, we don't know how much we have, but we all know we are only going to have a certain amount. I mean, I don't think any of us think we're going to live past 100. There's a few select people that do. And, and my wife's sweet grandmother, she's actually about to hit, I think she turned 99 next summer, and we're celebrating that. But that is few and far between. You know, so we've really got to think about how many days do we have, and are we, how are we living with this time? How can we carefully assess, number our days, so that we've got wisdom in our hearts to live And how can we live so that we minimize regret and wasted time? And I would propose to you, Jesus is going to show us. He's going to show us because if there's some lenses or there's some filters or there's some ways of living, ways of thinking, that if we will go, if we will go forward with these, that maybe we will minimize these things and maybe we can live the life that Jesus has called us to that brings joy and fulfillment in our lives. So I want to go to Matthew chapter 16. And it's one of the four Gospels, the stories of Jesus, and that we've got in this incredible Word of God, such a gift to us. And we're going to be in Matthew 16, and a story of Jesus with His disciples. So I want to go to that right now. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 28. And maybe you've got your Bible. It'd be great if you opened them up. Um, get your, if you've got it on your phone, whatever, you version is a great app. Whatever, let's get into the Word of God here. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, they know he's talking about him. He has been claiming, I am the Son of Man, okay? So who do they say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And these are all powerful anointed people, but again, prophets, uh, people of great importance in Israel, Israeli culture, in the history. But I want to ask you something, just, just pause for a second here. You know, I would say most people, when we talk about who Jesus is, I'd say the predominant, the predominant view of who people is, of who Jesus is in our culture, and even, even in the world, is Jesus is just a great guy. You know, and, and people view him like Gandhi or Mother Teresa. Maybe you don't even know who those are. But great people, Martin Luther King Jr., people that came and by their extraordinary way of living affected everything and everyone. And I think people just, a lot of people just view Jesus that way. We don't, I don't fully know who he is, but I know one thing, a great guy, great teacher. And, and, and that's a lot of people's view. But then he says this. He says to his disciples, But you, he asked them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that's a big deal. That is the big answer because they all knew this is the one, the king they were hoping for. And Peter's saying, You're it. And it took boldness. It took confidence for him to say this. And then Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my, fa- but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, and his name actually is translated Peter, so it's kind of a play on words, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, 
And whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Because it was such a controversial thing. He was like, you keep this to yourselves. But you know, this is kind of an interesting point. This is kind of like a, a define the relationship kind of conversation. You know, it is, it's kind of like when I, when I asked my wife to marry me, and it was like, she said yes. And once she said yes, we could talk about things we could never talk about before. And this is kind of what happens with Jesus and his disciples. That now, it's like, now we're all on the same page. You see, you agree. And that's a beautiful foundation. But something else incredible happens is Peter is told by Jesus Peter, on what you've just said, on your confession of me, on your acknowledgement of who I am, I am going to use you to build the greatest organization, that's a terrible term, but just the greatest group of people, the most world-changing group of people ever. You're going to be the foundational, you're going to be foundational in that. And what you, what you spiritually bring, what you, as far as your authority, you're going to be given incredible spiritual authority to affect the world. And it's going to be amazing. And so it's such a cool moment. Peter definitely is getting an attaboy here. But I want you to understand something, because this is for each and every one of us, as we think about how we view our lives, is kind of the first Filter or lens is this. We must decide if Jesus is who he says he is. And I want to I say this to you. Because most people, again, I, I, we think we think about it, but we don't think about it a lot of times. But, so there's so many people that come into church. And they come and they go, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe Jesus is a Christ. They don't even fully understand what that means. And so we really do have to, have to get down to this. Is he who he says he is? Again, because I know, and I'm so excited that people, that many of you maybe are new to Christianity. Maybe, you, maybe you're still, and maybe you don't even believe in God, but you're just here because someone invited you. You know, maybe you've just given up and you're just like, well, I'm just coming, somebody's bugging me. And you're here and I'm so excited about that. But I want to tell you, here's what we need to decide. We need to decide who Jesus is. Now, there's no he lived. There's no archaeological or historical dispute that Jesus actually lived. And there's no archaeological or historical dispute on what he said. It's one of the most documented lives in all of human history. But I will say this. If you look at, there's some, some works by a guy named Lee Strobel who looked in all this. But there's lots of great writings on this. But here's what it boils down to. Jesus clearly said he was God said he was the son of God, said he was God. And he taught his disciples this. They believe this. Let me go to this. And this is, this is John, one of Jesus' key disciples, John, wrote this in John 1, 1. This is He wrote this about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and that was Jesus. And we know this from the rest of the book. And the word was with God, and the word was God. John is saying Jesus clear, Jesus was God. And he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Everything has been created through Jesus. Jesus, God, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Something very, very, something mind-blowing to many of us. But 
Jesus is God. He claimed to be God. In, and then in another passage, he says this, John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. Jesus was killed in one part because he, he claimed I am. They knew he was claiming to be God. They knew this. So if we're going to look at Jesus and say, oh, he's just a great guy. He's a great teacher. You know, again, a Mother Teresa or a Martin Luther King Jr., something like that. Well, folks, none of them claimed to be God. Jesus did. And we have to decide, if he's telling the truth, this has a big impact on our lives. But the other two alternatives are that he was just absolutely crazy, just bat crazy. Or he was a liar of the most evil and deceptive kind leading thousands and thousands and now millions and millions of people into horrible deception. So, but when we look at his life, I think there's only one thing you come down to, that he is God. Now, we have to address that claim. Because if he is God, then that means he has rights over our lives that we must acknowledge. See, if he is God, like he says he is, if he is the author of life, if, if all life was in him and everything was created through him, then each and every one of us, you and I are all a gift from him. He created us in love. He created us in wonder. And he created us to enjoy his creation. But now we have to acknowledge if, that he has the right to have some say over this life. Now, we don't like that, but that's the truth. If he is who he says he is, and that's why it's so important that we must decide if he is who he says he is. So let's go to the next verse. So now that Peter has established you are the Messiah, and he's got this confession, and Jesus is moving forward more with them in a deeper revelation, he says this to him. He says, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. And Peter took him aside, same Peter, and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and told Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Now, Peter, obviously, I'm going to put, Peter gets his tail handed to him. All right, this is, a stunning rebuke after a huge win, we have a huge fail. Now, and, and, and Jesus, I mean, this is a very serious rebuke. But it also reflects the seriousness of the mantle of leadership Peter is being given in the kingdom of God, in the church. And that Jesus is going after something very clearly, very fast. And this is, this is something, and, and by claiming Get behind me, Satan. He's revealing something very crucial and very important for all of us to understand as we deal with who's in control of our lives. You see, I would think most of us, we there's two kingdoms, all right? Now, most of us, I think, would think there's three kingdoms, and let me explain this. I think we think there's this big kingdom of evil out there like Satan and all his stuff and all his minions. And then there's the kingdom of God over here. 
in this area. And, and, and we're all trying to kind of steer this way and kind of get over here into this one. And then there's the middle ground of us just ruling our own lives. And this is absolute fallacy. You see, here's the thing. When we are not under the kingdom of God, we're under the kingdom of Satan. Now listen to this passage in Ephesians chapter 6. So let me just give you a little backup on this. So Ephesians 6, 12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Folks, it's not, we're not resisting some little, we're not resisting a few little, you know, kind of like witches over in a corner or some sort of, you know, tarot card readers over here or some sort of, you know, we're resisting a massive evil kingdom that is clearly in this world as we look at Scripture. And here's what I would say to you. Jesus, Jesus is pointing this out to Peter. If you're, not under my, if you're not going after my concerns, then you're going after Satan's concerns. And if you think, if you think you're just ruling yourself and you're just guiding your own life, you are, no, you are not strong enough to resist all of this. Authorities, cosmic powers of this darkness, and it gets evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And God doesn't even want us to focus on that stuff, so we don't even get full explanations of what all this looks like. But we know there are real evil spiritual forces. And I just we have to understand that if we're not under the authority of God, if we're not following under Him, then we are clearly under the influence of, of the kingdom of Satan. And if you think you're so strong to resist that, that's incredibly arrogant and foolish. And we just need to face that reality. So we have to understand this. We must choose who is in charge of our lives. And this is by the grace of God, he has given us a free will where we can, where we get to choose who we submit to. It's not always easy, but that is part of what he's given us in his grace. If he says... He is who he says he is, and I came from him, and my life is a gift from him. He desires a say in it, and he made me to need him. And my question is now, as we choose this, I want to ask you this question, because we say this all the time. Jesus, you know, we, we talk about salvation. We say, Jesus, is, is Jesus your Lord? You know, and, and a clear term sometimes to me is just king. You know, there's people that are watching Game of Thrones and different, all these things. There's lots of kings and stuff and movies and stuff. Well, a king is the clear authority figure over a group of people. And you know, sometimes when it comes to Jesus, I think we treat him, again, like a good, like a nice spiritual advisor, like a great counselor, you know, a good YouTube guy that we're following. You know, he gives us great advice, but he's king. And if we want his proper position in our life, if we want his best, we have to decide if he's king. And if he's king, friends, and I, I just say this all the time to people around me, friends, I get to ignore what they tell me. Jesus may be your friend. Oh, Jesus is my friend. Jesus, I love Jesus. I, you know, I read all about him, whatever. If Jesus is your friend, friends, we can ignore what they say. I got friends that give me advice all the time. But a king... I don't get to ignore what he says. And Jesus himself says this. Listen to this in Luke chapter 6, 
46, Jesus tells the crowd, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Jesus himself is saying the very thing same. You're calling me Lord, but you don't do what I do. That's not true. He's not your Lord if we don't do what he says. And this affects us all. And here's, here's why this gets just so messy for us and, and challenging and hard. And that is this. God is going to ask you to do things you do not want to do. And, and let me just, let me say this. If you can't think of the last time God asked you somehow in his word or whatever, primarily in his word, if, if, if something didn't butt into your life, if you didn't butt heads with God over something, if something hadn't come into your life and you're like, you know what, I probably, God would probably want me to do that, but I just don't know if I can. That's hard. If you are not being asked to do what you don't want to do in, in the God sector, you don't have a relationship with him. And you are definitely not a Christ follower. Because I promise you, there is way more in my life. And I'm, I'm, y'all pay me to do some of this. Y'all pay me to follow Jesus to a degree. I mean, I'm, I'm, this is, this is what I do is, you know, obviously I'm going to do it no matter what. But I, I get to be here and be kind of a spiritual leader for us. Um, with, with our other pastors and, and with Matt, obviously. But there's a sense, even me, I'm, I butt into God all the time. God is like, go here and do this. No, I don't want to. Go be nice to your wife. No, I don't want to. Be nice to your kids. Ah, you know, and I mean, then we get into just reading the word of God. And there's so many things in here about jealousy and envy and how we spend money and all, how we spend our time and praying. And there's so much here. That, and it's truly life-giving. But if, it's, if you're not buttoned into God, if there's not days where you're like, he's asking me to do something I don't want to do, you don't have a relationship with him. I just hate to say it. And I just want to ask you this, because this these are salvation, to a degree, these are salvation questions. It's like, if we truly want to have the relationship with him, if we want to have the life he's, he wants us to have and live the mission and the purpose he wants us to have, are we, are we seeking his will at all? And I want to tell you the number one thing for us, no question about it, is, is time in God's Word. And I just want to tell you that no, through all the years, this, this doesn't get older and older. It becomes more vibrant and more incredible through the years. And I find this more life-giving and more critical to my life Critical to how I love my family, my wife, how I serve the church, how I serve the community, how I serve my Savior, how I live. And this has brought more freedom and more life to me personally. And I can tell you that you shall know the truth. The truth is Jesus. The truth is right in here. You shall know the truth and this truth will set you free. But listen to this verse about the Word of God in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 said this, says this, The Word of God, right here, the Bible, the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And this is what, what is the, the, the Word of God goes into places no medicine can go. It goes where no x-ray or MRI, it, I mean, it just goes into things we can't imagine and it sets us free. 
And if you want to live the life God's called you to live, bury yourself in this. Pour into this. But, but I would just challenge you this. If, you, if we never look in this, what in the world, how can we say we're following him? How can we say he's Lord? So people will say, people say sometimes, you know, I want to know God's will. I want to know what he wants for my life. I want to follow him. And it's like, well, open this up. There are so many pages, thousands of pages. There's so much life, so much instruction. Start, get, get here. This is our foundation. And how much easier can he make it? He's given us a book. Get in the word of God. And I just, at, at, at Rockbridge, you know, we literally, every single week, we write a, a, a devotional that you can get on your cell. You can get it by text message, email. And, uh, and we, it's, we call it Time with God. And you just text TWG to 888-744-0761. I'm sorry I don't have that on the slide. But just text that TWG. Go talk to your campus pastor. Go talk to someone or text us or email us. And we'll get you set up on that. But you can get a portion of scripture to you every day. And if, but if you're not, just get in the word of God. Let's prove to, our, prove to him and to ourselves that we do care what his will is. And what he thinks, God's word is powerful and it gets to the heart of our problems. It is the key to our freedom and victory. Are we seeking it out? Let's go back to our story of Jesus with Peter. So now he's rebuked Peter and now he says to his disciples this. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Now, all of them knew this. All of them knew that the cross, taking up your cross, was it was a, a cruel, horrible execution method. And this meant a walk of massive public shame. And what he's trying to get their point is that if some point my life doesn't look a little, it doesn't look crazy, doesn't to me, doesn't embarrass me a little bit to the, uh, to the loss, to the culture, to the world. If my life never looks crazy to them, then I'm, we're probably not following Jesus because he's calling us to counter cultural, counter living, living that doesn't make sense to a whole lot of people, to the world. It does not make sense to the world. And so if our, if our life never gets some, some flack, some pushback from someone, some, uh, to a degree, almost like embarrassment, are we even on the right path? So we must choose to surrender our lives every single day. Choosing to surrender means we must seek to follow. He's saying that every day. If you want to follow after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Again, if we're going to follow him though, are we even asking him what his will is? You know, and I want to say this, I'd say the biggest thing, it's not, it's not do we get up and Lord, what toothbrush do I use? You know, it's not that, it's do I, do I eat a waffle or do I eat cereal? But we make so many decisions We'll make career decisions. We'll make 
I mean, we get, I, I get, we get our kids involved in things. We make financial decisions. We'll plan vacations. We set, we'll look at savings and retirements, buying houses, all this kind of stuff. We'll make long-term, you know, we'll plan college, schools, and so many of these things. And there's times when people never even stop and seek God and seek his wisdom about things. And this makes absolutely no sense. I'm married, all right? And I'll tell you what, if you ask me, hey, what are you doing Friday night? And you, hey, you want to go do something Friday night? I'm going to go, well, let me check with my wife. If, if, hey, we're, uh, we're planning on this vacation or whatever. It, it, you, almost every question you ask me, if it comes to money, if it comes to time, it, most of those is going to be, well, let me check with Heidi. And that's because I realize I'm in this with her. I'm not, I don't get to make all the decisions. We make them together. We're joint. And it should be that way with God, that when we get asked things, when we make decisions that we're going, I need to pray about that. I need to take that to God. I need to seek him and seek what his will is. Is that a part of our lives? And then we must reject self-preservation. And he, back in this verse, he says this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. If you want to save your life, that is self-preservation. All right, self-preservation comes from two fact factors. It comes from pride and fear. I am, I am in self-preservation mode because I am afraid and I don't fully trust God. I don't fully trust what he's going to do. I mean, some of you, you may approach God and it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about this, Jesus. I'm not sure about this God because it, Jesus always feels like this. Hey, come here, come here, come here. And then missionary to Africa. You know, you don't know what he's going to send you. You don't know what he's going to do. He may make you do something totally crazy. And you know what? There's, he does do that. But truthfully, he works on people's heart. The people who are going to, to Africa can't help. They want to go to Africa. God's changed their heart. He's changed everything. But we move into self-preservation because we're afraid of God and we don't trust him. We don't trust his love. And then we move into self-preservation on pride. And the pride part is when we go, I think I know what makes me happy. And God, truthfully, I want to do it my way. And so we step back into the place of control. And Jesus isn't king. He isn't Lord. When we're in self-preservation mode, we must reject self-preservation. And you've got to understand this, especially if it's that pride thing. Folks, we are not self-guided beings. We are not endued with enough wisdom and enough knowledge and enough understanding to guide our lives. That's why Jesus gave us his word. He gave us himself and he gave us the church. Listen to this Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. If you think you know how to guide your life, if you think you are the best master over your life, you will end up in spiritual and in eternal death. That's, that's, the, that's the destination. We are not self-guided beings. We need, we need others around us. We need the church. God has clearly given us the church because I need people around me to keep me from doing stupid. I don't know about you. I, don't, I, I think I'm pretty smart some days. <laughs> the older I get, the, I do realize the dumber I am and the more mistakes I can make. You know, it, it seems 
It is just what it is. I like having people around me. I like the fact that my wife calls me out. I like the fact that my friends call me out. I like the fact that people around me say, man, I'm not sure you should have done that. I like that. It makes me feel safer. You know what? God's given us the church. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other, church. We need each other. Now, I know, especially with the COVID season and all this, that some people are just primarily online, but I just want to encourage you. And I actually was speaking to someone a few days ago about this. Do you have a spiritual support system? Do you have a group of people that you are connecting with? And maybe it's, you know, on, on phone calls and Zoom or whatever. Or maybe you're meeting with people at, at, the, at your work. That you're, you know, you got a group of people in the break room. All that kind of stuff. I just want to implore you and beg. Please have a spiritual support system of believers that will provoke you. That will push you that won't just stand there and not challenge you when we do the wrong things, when we step into complacency and laziness. We need to be provoked unto good works. That's not about us. We need to live for the mission of Jesus. We need to be around each other, encouraging each other. And I just want to encourage you, get a spiritual support system. At Rockbridge, our primary ways we do small groups. And over the next several weeks, especially, you know, in this January season, the New Year season, every campus launches new groups and has studies and different things. And I would just encourage you, if you don't have that spiritual support system, jump into one. Go sign up for one. Get online and look at what's available. And jump into a team. So many of our teams here at Rockbridge serving, serving the mission of Jesus Christ are incredible. They're, they're families. And we're walking with each other, praying with each other, challenging each other. Jump into community. But let's keep going. Let me go to verse 26 where Jesus continues this incredible challenge to his disciples. So he just said, you know, you got to deny yourself and live for me. But what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will reward each according to what he has done. I wanna, I'm going to say this clearly, and, and maybe this is harsh. Living for this temporary life is the ultimate stupidity when eternity is on the line. Now, our very first scripture was, teach us to number our days carefully so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. I don't know how many years you have left. I don't know how many years I have left. I turned 50 in about a month and a half. I'm counting down. I'm thinking about it. And I want to live these years that Jesus gave me. Life is a gift given by the king. Are we stewarding it according to his mission and his heart? Are we, going, are we going after him to be a part of his kingdom, building his church, building a group of people that will transform the world for all eternity? Are we doing what we can to fill the house of God with more people? Because he says it's about an eternal destiny. 
And he says, and the scripture's clear that there is incredible activity, incredible responsibility in the kingdom of God in heaven. It's not, we're not just all sitting around on a cloud with a harp singing kumbaya for a billion years. There is stuff to do. There are responsibilities. There is work to do. We'll enjoy it, but there will be work to do. I want to look forward to it. I hope you do too. This is also why we as a church do hope in so many missional things. And I would just encourage you, because I remember when I was in high school, and I wanted my life to make a difference. But I remember trying to figure out what to do, and I didn't know where to start. And so it's been one of my own personal goals at our campus, but throughout our church, to make sure there's always an easy step for people to take to jump into giving their life away toward the glory and the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I would just encourage you, talk to your campus pastor, talk to the people in your lobby, get online, look and see what hope expressions you can participate in. Again, get on a team, serving kids, serving student ministry, get on the worship team or production team or the host team. Get busy going after God. Get busy going after Him. Jesus tells us this, and this is the last verse he gives us in this discourse. He says, As truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, most scholars and, and people agree that what he's, what he's acting, the fulfillment of this is that very shortly after this, three of his disciples will be on a mountain where he is transfigured and steps into a temporary state of his glory. And they get to see his glory in the, in, the, in the Father's glory. And then, of course, the Apostle John, the disciple John, will write the book of Revelation from the island of Patmos when he experiences Jesus in his full coming glory in a vision. John gets to experience it. But I think the bigger message is this. The time really is short for you and me. All right? The time really is short for you and me. Now, I would say, we could say Jesus, you know, he's been, he's, Jesus came 2,000-ish years ago. And doesn't feel like he's come back yet. Doesn't feel like he's, he's been soon. But I want, I want to step into yours and mine, my reality. At the most... You have, you know, again, let's say at the most, let's say I live to 100. At the most, I have 50 more years. And then I'm going to face Jesus. And in the scope of eternity, that is not a long time. 50 more years. Some of those I'm going to need some help because I may struggle a bit. But here's the point. He is coming back for everyone or he is coming back for you. And we have to live with the end in mind. We have to live with the end in mind. I've never sensed so much urgency in my own life, in the church, to live the gospel and the mission of Jesus Christ. Our world's falling apart. Things around us don't make sense. But the gospel's clearer than ever. And he wins. And he's inviting us to be a part of his victory. 
Maybe today you need to take that first step and believe him for who he says he is. And I pray that you would, that you would accept what Jesus did on the cross for your sins, accept his, his atonement, and repent and turn back to him. Turn to him and say, all right, Lord, lead my life. Be my Lord and be my king. And go on that journey. And I would encourage you to talk, email us, text us, or go talk to your campus pastor immediately after this service and tell them that you want to follow Jesus. And your next step is baptism. Because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. But I encourage you, live with the end in mind. So this year, 2022, let's resolve this. Will we decide that he is who he says he is and choose to let him be king in our lives? Will we spend time with him in his word and in prayer and with his people so that we can understand and seek to follow his will? Will we choose to surrender our lives daily living for his purposes instead of our own? If we lose our life in surrender, we will save it. And it will be worth it. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, I, we just come to you and Lord, we first just say thank you. Thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent your only son. That the author of life became the one who died for us to give us new life, eternal life with you. And I pray right now that as we come, that we would decide and resolve to believe who you say you are and let you be the reigning king in our lives, rejecting fear and rejecting pride, rejecting self-preservation. And Lord, that this year would be the year when we seek to follow you more than we've ever sought before. That we would be in your word, that we would be among your people, that we would be praying, that we would be looking to follow you every single day. Not living for our own goals, our own dreams, our own expectations, but for yours. Jesus, you have promised us that those who seek you will be rewarded. Lord, we deserve nothing. But in your great love, you will reward us. Let us live for the right things. Help us today to number our days aright. To number our days carefully. And to live for you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.